Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, if you would, or your preferred handheld device. Luke chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 27 through 36 this morning. And today is a good day, amen? Amen. And you want to know why today is a good day? Because it's the opening day of baseball season. It is a good day. And how many of you know the Phillies are going to win the World Series this year? That is the best joke I have all day, okay? That is it right there. <laughs> but baseball season is upon us. Things are blooming. God is good, and there's a lot for us to grab from Him. Amen? Amen. I'm really excited to start a new series, and I'm excited for different reasons. Now, I don't know about you, okay? But I'm the kind of person who, I kind of like tough preaching, all right? I kind of like, like, get in the mud, um, make me feel uncomfortable, like I'm going to leave not really liking myself, and it's going to cause me to really get to the place where I get before the Lord. I like those a lot. I'm not really the kind of fluffy preacher where it's, um, uh, I enjoy just a feel-good kind of pat him on the back, everyone gets a trophy kind of preaching there. Uh, but for me personally, who I have in my steady diet of receiving uh, just for myself, I listen to some tough preachers, some preachers who aren't scared to kind of get um, in your face to really, really challenge you. Um, but I really don't think that there was anybody greater on this earth, obviously, in general. But um, as far as the greatest pastor of all time was Jesus and his tough sayings. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken time to read through uh, the Gospels entirely. But there are some tough things in the Gospel that Jesus says. Amen? There are some tough things that it takes us uh, quite a bit of time to just kind of digest and to go, oh, why did he say that, right? It was all good with the blessed is the peacemakers and all that. And now he goes into this whole forgiving and all this stuff. And that just gets a little bit tricky there. But I think it's important. Man, I think if we're talking about spiritual maturity and we're talking about growing in our relationship with the Lord, we can't just read the things in the Bible that make us feel good. Amen? We got to challenge ourselves on the things that really make us uncomfortable, the things that really stretch us in our faith. Because what happens is when you read something in your gospel that you go, I don't know how that makes me feel, I want you to know this, it is your divine opportunity to get before God and let Him minister to your heart. Let Him minister to your heart about what that means. And so for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to do a series called Cringe. Uh, and, and, and in my spirit, I, I kept getting this kind of um, visual about like nails on a chalkboard. Anybody love that sound? I don't know. If you do, we're going to have prayer at the end for you. Uh, but there are these always these things that kind of make us feel like, oh, if I hear that one more time, um, you know, I'm going to lose my mind. And there are certain things that Jesus says that makes you just kind of go like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, that doesn't really make me feel so very good. So we're going to look at some of these sayings. And I figured the best way, the very, very best thing to do is to really just go at this really, really hard right off the bat, right? So I'm sure if attendance, for all of uh, my board members, if attendance dips in the next couple of weeks, we'll know why. Uh, uh, but we're going to go right at it here this morning. And I really want to talk about what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean when he says love your enemies? It's a tough one, right, when we think about it. Love your enemies, right? We're not talking about just forgiving, but we're talking kind of another step. And in my spirit, what the Lord had put upon my heart when I was putting this together was the word regardless. 
Regardless is a funny word. Now, I love words. I love kind of thinking about words, like what words mean. Um, the definitions of words are actually awesome to me. Uh, and, and the word regardless, it means this. Without paying attention to the present situation, despite the prevailing circumstances. So basically what we look at, as we look at the word regardless, and what we understand is this is regardless means like no excuses. And Jesus comes <laughs> with this spirit of kind of calling us to live regardlessly. Regardless of what's been done to us, regardless of how much our feelings have been hurt, regardless of what we really think, whether we're right or wrong or anything, like Jesus calls us to live regardlessly. Regardless of what we think we were due or what we were owed or anything like that. And it's a really difficult thing for us to do when we're thinking of our enemies, when we're thinking of our friends, when we're thinking of our loved ones. And this morning I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is this, is that God is a God of grace. How many would say amen? God is a God of grace. And that means that God, out of God's great love, what it does is he, re- he accepts us regardlessly. And how many are excited about that? I'm glad that God accepts me regardless of who I am. I have something to do with this. Obviously, I have to come and confess and claim him as my Lord and Savior. But he doesn't say, okay, now that you've confessed and you've repented, now go be as good as you possibly can, and then I'll accept you. No, he says, I accept you regardless. Warts and all. This isn't an easy truth to come to, especially the regardless part. But when we understand that God accepts us regardless, it's good news. That we, that, and that, that's where we get the word gospel from. Gospel means good news. And believing this in our heart, it's good news and great to know that God loves and accepts us regardless in the beginning of our salvation. And it's a good thing. But I've also got bad news for you this morning. And this is a tough news to think. And the bad news is that God is a God of grace. That's difficult for us sometimes. You know who understood kind of this part of grace where he looked at it as bad news is the story of Jonah. And Jonah, he heard that God was the God of grace, not as good news as you and I may hear it, but Jonah really heard that God is the God of grace as bad news. See, there were a people that Jonah hated, that Jonah despised, the people that hated God, and Jonah could not understand why God would extend grace to a people who for a time wanted nothing to do with them in Nineveh. And God says, well, your job is to go and to tell them that I love them and my grace abounds to them. And I want you to go and preach my regardless gospel to them. And see, in Jonah's mind, what he said to God is, I'd rather die. He says this in Scripture. I would rather die than to have to tell the people that you love them. Imagine that. Imagine that kind of hate. Imagine that kind of anger at your enemy. But see, Jonah gets it right. He gets it right in the sense that he understood better than we did that God's grace is both good news and it's bad news depending on how we look at it. And it's dependent upon how we work at it. It's the regardless part that sometimes I think it makes it so offensive to us that God would dare, yes, it's good that God gave me grace, but how dare God extend the grace to this person? How dare? But Jesus calls us to view the people of this world, to view the people who are our friends and who are our enemies, not through our own eyes, but he calls us to view people through his eyes. That his grace is sufficient for everyone. Not just you, not just me. And this is where the challenge gets very, very difficult. It gets difficult to say, man, not only do I have to love my friends, but I have to love 
my enemies. I have to love them with all my heart. But we have to look at the word love. And we've preached about love at this church many different times. And before we get into our scripture, I want to look at these words here because the Greek language is very powerful. It gives us our definitions. It comes to aid us beautifully in understanding the deeper meanings and the depths and the philosophy of what these scriptures had mean. And I think it's appropriate at this point to look at some of these words. If we look at the first, the first word for love, it's eros. And eros, that one word is sort of, um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it, it's a very beautiful love. And Plato talks a lot about this type of love in a lot of his writings. It's a sort of yearning for the soul, if you would. It's like a yearning type of love. And if it comes, it's, it comes as sort of, sort of a romantic type of love that we look at. The second type of love is we should be very familiar with it because we're known as the city of brotherly love, but it's called philia. And that type of love, uh, uh, it's, it's also just as beautiful as eros, but it's different. It's intimate affection between personal friends. Kind of a closeness, a brother or sisterhood, however you would have. Very likable type of love in its simplest forms that you look into it. And the Greek language comes out with another one. Many of us know this as agape love. And agape love is beautiful as well. It's more than eros. It's more than philia. It's more than all of these things. It's a creative type of love. What it is is one uh, definition puts it as a redemptive type of love. A love that redeems, and it's a love that seeks nothing in return. It's a love that doesn't seek to get back, but it's a love that seeks to, to, to completely give. It's a serving type of love. And this is what Jesus means, I believe, when he's talking about loving our neighbors, of giving of ourselves. And we're going to look at the benefits of what it is, because part of us, what's very, very difficult for us is to look at this type of love and to say, if I give this kind of love to my enemies, quote unquote, what do I get? We're going to look at that at the end. But let's look at our scripture first. Jesus says this, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer also the other. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Father, I just come before you right now as we take the next couple minutes. Just open your word, discuss it. I pray that you would speak your word to your people. They would respond accordingly, Father. You would give us the strength to love those, God, who are difficult at times to love. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. It's very important in Scripture to note something. When Jesus said this, I don't believe that those that were sitting on the mountain listening to his preaching at this particular point, that they had to turn to one another and ask, who is he talking about? Who are our enemies? The history shows us that he's talking about the mighty Romans here. He's talking about the Romans, and this message probably didn't go any better then than it will maybe for some of us today. It's a simply outrageous thought. 
that this man had come and he's asking us to love the people who hate us, who bring so much anger to us, to actually love these people. And clearly here, love is not used as just having this warm kind of necessarily uh, affection. What he's telling these people is this. He's saying you've got to love and you've got to give and you've got to pray for them. And to a large degree, he's talking about giving to the people who sue them, the people who abuse them, who enslave them, who do all of these things to them. And for us, it's the same thing. It's very difficult to understand that those who have abused us, who have hurt us in very many ways, for us to give this kind of extending love to them. And loving our, our enemies, it doesn't come naturally. The prayer, we'd rather pray, I believe is expressed by a well-known Irish blessing that maybe you've read before, you've heard before, and I'm pretty sure God does not want us to pray this prayer, okay? But it goes like this. It says, may those who love us, love us. And may those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles so we will know them by their limping. Now, I don't think that's a prayer. God wants us to pray. But that's a pretty easy prayer for us to understand. Love your enemies. This may be one of the most difficult things that Jesus has ever said to us. And many of us, let's be honest, we don't try to apply this at all. We don't work at this. We put this on the shelf of good ideas, but never practically looking to apply these things. And even when we hear it in church, it's very difficult to believe that Jesus really means what he says. Let me tell you an honest truth that might make you cringe. Jesus meant everything he said. Even if it's difficult for us to hear, he meant everything he said. But in case you have any doubts about this, Consider the way he explained it. Let's look at this scripture of how he explains this, right? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. <clears throat> and even if that's not enough, he goes on <clears throat> to say, he gives us examples. So what we can't do is we can't weasel our way. We can't weasel our way out of this truth. We can ignore what he says if we want to, but we still can't ignore that he said it. If someone strikes you, he says, turn the other cheek. If they take your shirt... Give them your jacket too. If a beggar comes to you, give him something. If someone steals your money, don't demand it back. He goes a step further, right? It's not just uh, love your enemies. It's, it's, it's continually give to them. It's continually put yourself out there. And then we have Luke's rule. A version of the golden rule is treat others as you like to be treated, but that's not enough. What Jesus does is he anticipates our major objection, doesn't he? But, and he says, oh, I love people who love me. Jesus, I love people very well. If you love me and if you're my friend, then I love you. I'm loyal. All these things. And he goes on to say it's easy to be nice to nice people. How many would agree with that statement? Jesus was the king of logic, right? He would look at them and he would go, well, it's easy to love people. He says even sinners do that. If you're nice, if you're just as good of a sinner as them, they love you. That's not the point. He says sinners are even nice people, but for us, for followers... Like any good teacher, what he does is he says this. He reiterates, he repeats his main point in this version of Scripture. I encourage you this week, read this section of Scripture every single day and be marveled by how many times Jesus repeats himself because he really wants to pound this point home. Love your enemies and do good even to the people who you know will treat you rudely in return. You see, what this is, is this is an opportunity for us to examine if we're growing in the Lord. I want to tell you something. When you know that you can love someone, 
that is very difficult, that has made it very difficult on your life to love, that you can have no malice in your heart towards that person, and you can say, I will give to that person even when I don't need to. Practically, in a court of law, I would be judged as uh, not guilty in being rude to this person back because they have made my life very, very difficult. And you can still say, no, but you know what? I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And there's freedom there, church. You're hearing me this morning. There's freedom there. But we all ask ourselves, don't we? Well, why do I live like this? Why do I live like this? Why would I dare do that? And if we stop for a moment and we truly observe these radical sayings of Jesus, and we look as we should, because if Jesus said it, it's pretty important for us to make sure that we think it's quite important, then when we look that, we ask ourselves, well, why, why should we live this way? Why would I do that? I mean, we're in a world where it's dog-eat-dog. I'm going to get mine. This person wronged me. I'm going to wrong them in return. And I'm right to do so. Because it's within my right. I was done wrong. Let me tell you something. Jesus turns everything on top of its head. And we look at the benefits. So we look at the benefits of why I live this way. Why do this I love our enemies. Well, number one, this, you will receive a great reward. The Bible promises us. And I know we automatically go to heaven, right? It's like, I'll receive a great reward, and I'm going to have the biggest mansion on the block, and it's going to be great and wonderful, and I'm going to eat well, and I'm going to swim in the river of life, and it's going to be wonderful. But, you know, we sometimes wait for the rewards of heaven, and we live in very downtrodden spirit here. But the truth of the matter is when we love our enemies, listen to me very carefully here, you are set free. You're set free right now. You understand what I'm saying? Nobody has anything on you when you can be set free from bitterness and from anger. And I believe this, that bitterness and anger is a choice. I will tell you, I choose to be bitter and angry more than I'm comfortable admitting. I do. This is something that's preaching to me this morning. I have not mastered the love your enemy a rule that Jesus has given, but I know I'm going to face it head on and look and say, I'm going to do the best that I can to constantly grow in this area. If you're struggling in this area, listen, you're in good company. I struggle with this as well. This became very evident in my life when I, I was the person who I was born my father's number one enemy. My father left when I was nine months old. And as a young boy, you begin to crave, uh, you begin to crave uh, the affection of a father. And honestly, it's something I still fight today because I look at my son, how much I love him and how much there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. And I have to fight the feelings of saying, how do you just walk away from that? Like how, like every smile, every first, everything. How do you make a conscious decision and just say, the decision that I make to walk away from this is better than the difficulties of staying through here? It's a very difficult thing to do, and it keeps coming up, and I have to choose to not be bitter. I have to choose not to walk in anger. I still work on the love part, but I'm going to choose not to be bitter, and I'm going to go step by step by step. What I would do as a child is I would send my father cards constantly. I found his address. I sent it to every graduation. I sent every picture of every newspaper that I was in. I would send it up years and years and years and years, and it wasn't until I was 28 years old that he finally responded, and he showed up. And when he showed up, he said, listen, I don't want to talk about the past. I want to move forward. I don't want to talk about any of this. And I said, well, that's not fair. I have 28 years worth of questions to ask, sir. And I remember we met two, two times. That was it. 
And I realized very simply that this was not going to be a relationship that he really wanted to help bring closure to me. And what was best is that I just made sure that I stayed in a good place for him. And so occasionally there will be an email or a letter or a phone call or something there. But I want to tell you something. I think of this scripture all the time. And there are many times in my life when I see my son do something that that bitter, I'm 41 years old. And it still pops up, right? And that bitterness wants to just consume you. But I want to tell you something. When you choose to just say, God, give me the strength to love this man. This man who's given me really nothing in this life. He's done nothing for me. He's added no value to my life. I say, God, you got to give me the strength to love him because then I know I'll truly be free. I know I can walk in that freedom. Why do I want to do that? Because another benefit that we get when we can say we love our enemies is this is that we truly will demonstrate that we are children of God. We are children of God, that God specializes. If we read our scripture and we remember what I said earlier about Jonah, listen, we have to understand that God specializes. We may not like it, but he specializes in being kind to unkind people. He does. He specializes in showing mercy to mean people. Just like Jonah didn't like it because he felt the people didn't deserve it. That's not between us to decide. We don't decide that. What we do is we know that God has called us to love our enemies. To love our enemies. To love our neighbors. To love to show the grace of God everywhere. And if we are a part of the family of God, there ought to be a family resemblance. Amen? We ought to be able, thank you, we ought to be able (laughs) to love our enemies and show a family resemblance that we are like God. In one of the versions, it says, be perfect as God is perfect. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. It says in in another one, be merciful as your God is merciful. I, I believe one of my strongest gifts is the gift of grace. I give a lot of grace. I believe one of my biggest weaknesses is the gift of grace as well. Sometimes I give away too much grace. I've been blamed for that very, very thing. But what I do know is is when I err on the side of grace, I sure look a lot more like my Father. I sure look like my Heavenly Father. The God who gives grace. And see, you and I, we have to know this. This is what becomes important too when we say we have to love our enemies. We have to know our enemies, right? Who are our enemies? I believe we walk through this life a lot of times, and I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have made me their enemy when I've looked across at them and I've said, I'm your brother. I'm not your enemy. I don't want bad for you. I don't want all of these things. And what we end up doing is we end up making our brothers and our sisters our enemies. And our real enemies run free and all of this stuff, and we're misappropriating where our anger has to go to and all that. And the very practical question is, is, Who are my enemies in this world? And in the broad sense, an enemy is anyone who turns against me, right? It's the person who stabs me in the back. The definition is one who feels hatred toward, intends injury to, or opposes the interests of another. That definition is an enemy, right? We've heard that saying, what is it? uh, uh, The friend of my enemy is my enemy. The enemy of my friend is my friend. I don't know. It always confuses me. But we, we classify people. Either you're my friend or you're my enemy, And the thing is, is sometimes we think all of our enemies are just out there. They're out there. They're across the pond. They're the ones who have nuclear bombs, and they're coming after our country and all of these things. But the truth is, is the enemies sometimes are right closer than we think. It says this in Scripture in Matthew 10.36, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
and his enemies will be out of his own household. And in this very, very passage, he specified three close relationships in Matthew chapter 10 that could go sour. A father and his son, a mother and her daughter, a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. Those are the ones that can go sour. Read it for yourself, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says these are the ones you've got to watch out for. These are the ones to be careful, and we can easily jump from that list to other close relationships. The parent, child, the husband, the wife, the grandparents, uncles, aunts, so on and so forth, various distance relationships. But the enemies we are told to love usually are not people in Iraq or North Korea or all of these other places. But sometimes what happens is, is, is most of us will never visit those places, but we do have to go home every day. And we have to face people who we may or may not be glad to see. And we look at them, and what we do is we unfortunately we make them our enemies. We make them our enemies, but we understand this is God is calling us to forgive. If we look at just the three categories, home, work, church, how many of us have made enemies in our lives in those three areas? We've created enemies within there. We understand this. The Bible tells us for parents in here, our children could become our enemies. Your husband could be your enemy. Your wife could be your enemy. Your parents could be your enemy. Absolutely, they could because they're the ones who have the biggest part of your heart. Amen? They're the ones who are most vulnerable there. And certainly, when we look at ex-wives and ex-husbands, that they could be our enemy. It isn't just people out there. But what Jesus is telling us here is to look at the people close to you who by your actions you've made your enemies. The ones in your everyday life, that boss that you don't know why, but you just can't stand him. Those people in your life that you just go, I have created these people to be my enemies and they've done wrong to me, yet the command remains, love your enemies. Church, we can't escape it. Trust me, I have tried. I have spent a lot of time trying to wiggle my way around this one. But God, you don't understand how hurt I am. But the truth is, is we can't escape it. We cannot escape it. This is the final step of forgiveness. We say, oh, I forgive them, right? But then what we do is we get cute. I forgive them, but I don't want to see them. Don't you bring his name up around me. Like, I, that's when I feel angry at myself, to be honest with you. Because I'll say all the right things. How many of us are guilty with it? I forgive them. Glory to God. That is my brother in the Lord. Hallelujah. I play, pray blessings upon him. And then somebody comes in and goes, hey, guess what happened? I saw this guy, and you go, did he turn his ankle? Did he? Because that's what I've been praying. I heard he turned his ankle, right? in our hearts, and that's when I go, oh, stupid devil, right? Like I get mad at myself because nobody sees it. Nobody sees it, but I know me. And internally, I got to spend time with the Lord and go, I have not forgiven that person. I've not forgiven that person. And I definitely, if I haven't forgiven them, I'm going to have a hard time loving them. And if I'm not loving them, then I got to be honest, Jesus, I'm not willing to do some things you've called me to do. These are tough sayings, right? These are tough, tough things for us to do. So who is he calling us to love? Yeah, he's calling, he's calling you to love that husband who's absent, who's just distant. He's calling you to love that spouse who had that affair. He's calling you to love that boss who is just pounding. He's calling you to love the kid who has said something to you as a parent that just broke your heart. He's calling you to love all of these people within your life because maybe they've become your enemies. I'm speaking to people who've had personal uh, conflict within your family at this time. And then he's calling us to love those people that our initial reaction, we might not have, we might not have a direct connection to them, but man, we have an immediate hate the moment we hear about them. 
telling us to love them. And so there's a personal and there's a different, distant place that Jesus is calling us, but what is it surrounded by? Surrounded by love. Why? Because your Messiah, your King, your Redeemer knows this, that when you walk in a spirit of love, you are walking in the spirit of your Father. And when you are walking in the spirit of your Father, you are walking in the spirit of peace, spirit of love, a spirit of joy that many of us may need right now in our time. But it all starts with forgiving, and it all starts with loving. And there are practical applications that we can talk about for days on this. I want to give you a couple. For those of you, because I believe, as I was praying up into this service, I believe that there are people who you've made enemies within your own camp. Listen, you're angry at your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, those close people to you. You're frustrated at your children. You've made them your enemies. Maybe people who are direct, they're, they're, they're not so distant people within your life. But God is calling you to forgive them. There are some practical things that you can do that will begin to work the spirit of freedom within your heart. They're working out these tough things that Jesus has called us to do. Obviously, everything starts by saying this. It's a prayer before the Lord. It says, God, I want you to know I forgive this person. You've got to say it. And you got to believe it within your heart. God, I forgive this person. The next thing is this, is that you, when you think of this person, you, or if this person is direct contact with you, number one, you don't avoid them, you greet them. You greet them with love. You greet people with, with grace and with mercy. You disarm them. Because if God is a God of love and God is a God of grace and we're to walk according to, I want to tell you something, by walking through this life, this will not just happen, amen? When we hate someone, we don't like someone, we can't stand someone. I tell you, in my word, the, the worst word you can say in my house, my kids will tell you, is the word hate. That's such a strong word to me. I mean, I, I, listen, there are a lot of bad words out there, but there's something if you say, man, I hate this person, you have made a definite decision to like put like a like incredible distance between you are hoping for terrible things for that person. I mean, as Christians, I don't believe there's anything that, or anyone we're supposed to hate except the devil and the New York Knicks. That's it. That's the only thing. God gives grace for those. Knicks fans, calm down, okay? But don't, like, we're, not, we're not supposed to walk in the spirit of hate. Why? Because a loving father wouldn't want us to walk with those kinds of chains in our life. Amen? And so he says, this is the easiest thing. Love your enemies. Now listen, it doesn't mean you have, to, you have to give them everything and do all of this. And there is conventional wisdom. There is good things about saying, listen, there's distance. This person's unhealthy for me. But I'm talking about the things that are done on the inside. You hear me, church? The things that, that we feel on the inside of the heart, when we see that person, we avoid that person. Another practical thing for you to do is this. My children, they ask about my father. Dad, where's your dad? Like, where did you come from? What kind of weirdo did you come from, right? <clears throat> what I refuse to do is this. I tell them the truth. Well, your grandfather left when I was like nine months old on Christmas Eve. It was really hard, really, really difficult, and I tell them the story. Dad, did you, did you miss your dad? Yeah, I missed him. Oh, man, I would have loved to have dad growing up. But you know what I don't do? This is where we mess up. Listen to me, Christians, faith, people, brothers, sisters. This is where we mess up. We move from the facts to speaking evil about that person. We do. We don't just leave it at that. And one of the things that I refuse to do is I refuse to speak evil about my father. That's the most that I've been able to do. I don't speak bad about him. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. 
power of life and death means for me, if I just keep speaking evil over him, I'm not loving him. I'm speaking death over my own life. I'm speaking death to me. But forgiveness in many cases is absolutely impossible. You know why? Because we don't stop talking. Listen, I'm a pastor. I know that very, very well. We don't stop talking. And we feel the more we talk about it, the closer we'll come to resolving it and the closer we'll come to forgiveness. But the truth of the matter is this, is we should stop talking at times. There are times that that it would be good as brothers and sisters, we would encourage one another to stop talking. Let's stop talking about this. Especially when we see one another just speaking evil. And at some point, what we have to do is we have to stop talking and you have to start forgiving. The hard part. When I counsel with people, it always ends up getting to this certain point where we've discussed biblical, we've discussed practical, we've discussed emotional, we have prayed together. And there's a certain point that we get to that I go, there's really no more talking that needs to be done. Now it comes to action, forgiveness, love, all of those things. Another thing that I think is very, very important. I have a really hard time hating people that I pray for a lot. Anybody else have that? It's really hard. When I spend a lot of time praying for you, it's kind of hard to then all of a sudden pray blessings and good things for a person. I just pray, God, you grab a hold of them. You get, man, you get them where they're at. I pray you draw them to their knees that they would know you, that in heaven we would spend eternity with them. In your name I pray, amen. God, that was hard. I can't stand this person. Like, it's hard to do, right? Because I've just invested so much emotion in my prayer for that person. And when you're praying for them, you want if you want something that will stretch your spiritual muscles find the person you can't stand the most pray for them and ask the lord to bless them ask the lord to bless them and you might go "Ah, this he's lost his mind it's not just his heart but it's his brain it's all broken now right no listen when i read the story of joseph listen this is where you find your hope i'm wrapping it all up into one thing okay if i'm wrapping it all up into one big pregnant point here and you go I don't understand this. And you might be sitting there because even preparing this sermon, there were certain things that I was like, I'm just not comfortable with some of these things, even in my own life and examining it before the Lord. But I was drawn to the story of Joseph. And I love the story of Joseph. Like, it is one of my favorite stories in the Bible of forgiveness, redemption, all of these different things. And there's one poignant line that many of us know in there in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And he says this. He said, you meant talking to his brothers. Now, if you don't know the story of Joseph, he had his brothers. He, uh, Joseph was prideful at a point, but he had brothers who were jealous, and they threw him in a pit, and they slow, sold him as a slave, uh, and he was stuck in jail, and all of these different things. He had done things for people. He had visions for people. He helped people in jail. They turned against him. All of these things happened, and yet God was still surely sovereign and elevated him to mighty, mighty places to the point where his brothers had to come and beg for food because of a famine. And he looked at them at one point, and as he chose to forgive them, he said these powerful words of Scripture. He said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. God meant, think about that. Joseph was wise enough, he was mature enough, he he had grown in his walk with the Lord enough to go, you know what? You meant to do bad to me. And what was he able to do through that time? Joseph held his peace. He helped his brother. He restored that relationship. He prayed for them. So when we pray for people and we ask our enemies and we ask God to bless them, these are the appropriate steps that get us to the place that we can actually say, I love them. 
and mean it, actually. And actually mean this very, very thing. And we've seen incredible people do this. One of the stories I was baffled by was Nelson Mandela. What he did was he spent most of his life in the South African prison under the racism and apartheid. And when he, uh, uh, and one of the most uh, amazing transformations that had ever happened, when he gets out of jail, the heads of, uh, he becomes the president of South Africa. And it's a beautiful ceremony and all of these different things, heads, heads of state from all around the globe, dignitaries, they come to the, his um, inauguration and what they're doing is they're vying for the front seats because those are the seats of honor. But do you know whom Nelson Mandela invited to sit in the seats of honor at his inauguration? He invited his prison guards because he said, I have to forgive them or I can't be the leader I'm called to be. I have to love them. I have to appreciate them. I have to move forward past this. He invited the prison guards, the one who unjustly threw him into prison to have the seat of honor because he was not going to let anybody live rent-free in his mind, in his heart at all. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. I'm going to call the worship team on up. And if the ushers, you can make your way and pass the offering buckets as I prepare to close. And I believe this morning some of us need to really take some time here in the next several moments and just examine our hearts. And the reason I started with this one is because I believe that we have to look at the words. We have to look at the words of Jesus and say, regardless of what I've been through, He's calling me to love my enemies. Listen, I have one of those stories. Not only was I abandoned by my father, I've been emotionally abused, sexually abused. I've been um, left on this earth as an orphan. I've been mis mis mishandled as a child completely. But I know this. Even with all of that, and I don't share the depths of my testimony too, too much because when I get the opportunity to talk about Jesus, I'd much rather to talk about Jesus than myself. You gentlemen can pass those. I'd much rather talk about Jesus than myself. But I do love talking about Jesus' redemptive work in my life, what he's done for me. And I do know this, that I could be bitter. By all guesstimations, I should be bitter. I should be angry. I should be frustrated. I have a lot of people in my life that I can hold bitterness against. My mother, my father. I can hold that. But regardless of what I think, I know what Jesus said. I know what Jesus called me to. To love your enemies. And I have to work my way towards that. I have to work my way towards the people. Listen, as a pastor, you help a lot of people. And you want to be there. No pastor wants to lose people. And no pastor wants people to turn on him because if they would, why would they ever get into ministry? But you're going to have it. They tell you. They warn you about it. The people who are closest to you are the people who will stick the knife deepest in your back. And man, I have had that in my almost 20 years of ministry. And it hurts because you put yourself out there. You want to love people. You want to help people. You don't get a raise based on how many people you help. You just want to do it because you know God's called you to it. And it's a beautiful thing when people are being set free. But even as a pastor, the knife hurts when it goes in. And you've got to pull that knife out. And you've got to go, it's not going to define me. It's not going to cripple me. It's not going to stop me from being who I am. And I'm not going to build up bitterness. I'm not going to build up anger. I'm not going to build up frustration. Why? Because regardless of how I feel, Jesus, my Savior, the one who went to the cross for me, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how I think, 
regardless of what I think is just and unjust, the tough sayings of Jesus is this, I have to love my enemy. But you don't understand, Pastor Jimmy. You don't understand. I think I do. I think I do. I've had hurt. You've had hurt. You've had a different kind of hurt. And you might say, this person did this to me. This person betrayed this trust. This person did that. I get it. And nothing inside me more wants to get you around a group of people who can love you to health. But regardless of all that, Jesus said, love your enemies. You love that person who has hurt you most. Because when I look at myself, I am ashamed by how many times I have hurt God by my actions. I'm embarrassed. I'm very, very humbled. But I'm so thankful for the grace of God. The grace of God. Because it really, really is the good news when we look upon it. And it's not just the good news for me, but it's good news for those that we call our enemies. Stand with me if you would this morning. I want to pray. And what I want you to do in the next moments, the worship team is going to lead us in worship. I need you to do this. I need you to examine your heart. And if there is one person in this room who goes, but you don't understand, I want to tell you something. God's talking to you this morning because that's what he kept just putting in my spirit. There are going to be people who are going to want to justify. Your immediate action is going to want to say, but you don't know how much that ex-spouse hurt me. But you don't know how much it hurt that this person had the affair on me. That you don't understand that I trusted this person with my like most intimate secrets. And they, they, just, they, they, they just took it and they just ripped it apart and shared it with other people. And they hurt me. If that's you, the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning. Because regardless, he's called us to love our enemies. And I want to make just an altar here where you can physically step towards God and respond to that because you're going to need the Lord's help to love our enemies. Amen? We need God's help to love our enemies, but I believe that when you do such a thing, you become closer to the Lord. You're more like your father. And if you want to be more like your father and there's that person or that group of people or somebody's done something in your life, you need to make your way to this altar. And what I want you to do is physically leave it at this altar. When you walk away, you go, God, I'm leaving that hate here. God, I'm leaving that anger here. God, I'm leaving that bitterness here. God, it might not be tomorrow. It might not be the next day. But truth be told, I am going to work towards loving this person. And then listen, let God be your strength to do that. Amen? Let God give you the strength. But just make that commitment before Him today. As I pray, I want you to make your way on up here between you and God. That person, those groups of people that you are bitter and angry at, man, you leave it here at the altar. As I start to pray, just make your way on forward. Father, I just thank you, Lord. You challenge us, Jesus. Lord, as those come before you this morning and they say, I'm going to bring this person before you and I'm going to leave this bitterness, this anger right here at the altar. I pray a spirit of freedom upon their life in Jesus' name. Lord, there are many hurt in this room. There are many stories of pain. There are many stories. And many people have put the concept of loving our enemies on the shelf and it's collected a lot of dust. God, it's time to dust that off and to be that Christian who desires to fulfill the words of Jesus with all of their heart. So I pray a strength upon those that are hurt this morning in Jesus' name. To take step one and to just say, Lord, I forgive them. And let bitterness, let anger, let frustration not not guide them anymore. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Everyone said, I want to encourage you to make your way on up.